Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We invite you to the book of Genesis this morning, chapter 3. And what I'm going to do over the next few weeks is speak about the resurrection of Christ leading up to Easter morning. But I want us to do this from the Old Testament, and that is to uh, take some key passages that uh, prophesy or look forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then end that on Easter morning and speaking about the actual thing from the Gospels. So it's kind of a short series on the resurrection, uh, but I think uh, it will be unique in that we don't always spend time in these Old Testament prophecies about the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ perhaps as much as we should. So you're looking at Genesis chapter 3. I hope in your mind a light kind of comes on and you say, oh, this is where sin entered into the world. This is where Adam and Eve uh, was tricked by Satan through the serpent and they sinned and then we have God reading them the riot act, so to speak. You notice in verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So here is a serpent, but what we know, of course, is that this is Satan doing the tempting, and he's using the body of a serpent, an animal that was alive at that time. Then uh, we have in verses 1 through 7 of this chapter the sin that actually happened as the serpent tricked Eve into thinking that God didn't have her best interest in mind, that, that this animal did. And so he tricks Eve into sinning, and of course Adam along with her. Well then, from verse 8 to the end of the chapter, God brings them to account, and God brings them before him. The serpent, that is Satan also, and the man and the woman, and uh, he meets out the punishments one by one, as we're going to see uh, in these verses. We're going to take especially verses 14 and 15 out of those verses. So uh, God meets out the punishment, and uh, in, first to the serpent in verses 14 and 15, right after that, one verse to the woman, uh, to Eve, and then uh, after that, 17 and 19, to Adam or to the man. Now, what is, will become clear, even as he says this to a snake, to the serpent, that animal had to bear its punishment also, and so does all creation. What we know here is this is what we call the fall, that is, the fall into sin caused by Satan, who tempted Adam, Adam and Eve, the only human beings, of course, on the earth at that time, but even the animal kingdom itself suffers from what happens here. You remember these verses in Romans 8.20? For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God brings this curse upon even the creation and the animals that live on the earth because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. So they're under bondage of corruption too. I mean, 
animals eat animals. Uh, it's it's a, a, a world of red and tooth and claws, they say, in that animal world, and this is why. But the Bible is going to tell us, even way back in Genesis, that there's only one hope for the world, and one hope for those who sinned, and one hope for all of creation. Hebrews 2.14 and many other passages say it, of course. There it says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, or here, the seed of the woman, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So there's going to come a deliverance from this. Now, our text uh, here in, in these verses, especially in, in verse 15, is called proto Evangelium. Have you ever heard that expression, proto-evangelium, which means the first gospel in Latin. It means this is the first time the gospel will be presented in the scripture. That's why I have as a title to this message, the first gospel. Proto meaning first, evangelium mean, meaning the evangel or evangelism. So here is the first one. Now, remember this. Every prophecy that was given in the Old Testament of Christ's first coming was fulfilled literally just as the prophet had said. Everything about Christ's first coming uh, happened exactly the way it was said that would. Consider his, his virgin birth, that is the, the seed of the woman only. A virgin birth happened, exactly as the prophet said it would. He lived a sinless life, exactly as he had to do. He was crucified in a, in a, in a way that Psalms even talks about. He was buried. Uh, he, he died among uh, the poor, and he was buried with the rich, as the Old Testament says. He rose bodily from the grave, which is what we will talk about over the next few weeks. Of course he did, as the Scripture said he would. And he ascended back into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, even as the Psalms predicted that he would. So if those are true, it also means he will come a second time exactly as the Bible says he will. And that's what we want to look at as well. So notice uh, in looking at these two verses, I'm just, I, I have two thoughts. One is the curse that comes upon the man, the woman, and the serpent, as well as Satan, of course, and then the cure to that. So three times here we have that God says something. Three times uh, he said, and we begin in verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, God brings him before him and he speaks to him. And then in verse 16, to the woman he said. And then again in verse 17, to Adam he said. He's going to bring everyone into account in this. So I want to talk about this curse first of all. And there are three things to be involved here. The Lord God, who is doing this talking, God himself, and then the serpent and then the snake. Well, I make a differentiation between those two because uh, to the serpent, he's really speaking to, to Satan himself, who is inside this serpent, but he speaks to the snake as well. He speaks to that animal as well. 
So notice that I have in capital letters the way that our English version gives it, the Lord God. We always need to take uh, note of the name of God when it's given to us, and sometimes with one word and sometimes a few different words. But Lord means Jehovah. When you see it in capital letters like that, that's Jehovah. This is the one who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. And when Moses said, who are you and what should I, how should I describe you? He said, I am that I am. Because Yahweh in Hebrew means I am. And that in, is Jehovah in our language. So he is the I am, uh, the beginning and the end. But he is also Elohim. He is also God. Way back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. And so when you see two names like this, that says God, the Lord God is talking to you. The Lord God is saying this you would sit up and listen. Whether it's Satan or whether it's Adam and Eve or whether it's an animal, they have to sit up and listen to the Lord God speak to them. Now, uh, the Lord God does this then uh, uh, in these verses. But I want you to, I want you to go back to verse 8 and, and just think about this for a second. Think about how wonderful it could have been if this sin hadn't taken place. What was going on between the Lord God and Adam and Eve? So you, you have in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let's just stop and think about that. You know what had gone on days before this? And all the way back, no doubt, to the first week of creation, however long that was, we're, we don't know exactly. God met with them and walked in the cool of the day. They had an evening walk with the Lord God, with their creator, with the eternal one. And they had just been created, and they're living with this God and that kind of fellowship and communion. Wouldn't that be great if that just went on forever? Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been wonderful? And God had put them to the test. Here's what you do, and here's what you do not do. But if you, do, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to break our fellowship and you're going to be in trouble. So just think for a minute of what, what possibly it could have, uh, have happened, what could have happened during that time. I want you to notice also then, of course, what, what you're seeing is in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open because they sinned. And not only that, in verse 8, uh, it says, uh, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the, tr the trees of the garden. And up in verse 7, they found out that they were naked. F folks, uh, uh, immodesty and nakedness is a sign of our sin. And the first thing that Adam and Eve noticed uh, was their immodesty. Isn't that something, that that's what sin does to us? And so in verse 8, they hid themselves and uh, when God said, where are you? Verse 9, not that God didn't know. He's more like saying, where are you now? And Adam says, I was afraid uh, because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God says, who told you you were naked? Your conscience did. And your sinful nature has told you that. And they knew that. So uh, here, uh, Adam, by the way, uh, 
you, and, and let me, I was going to back up and say, when he does this, he, he says first to Adam, verse 11, uh, you know, who told you that? And the man said in verse 12, the woman, that's who. Now, nothing's changed in 6,000 years, I, I suppose. Why are you the way you are? That's the woman you gave me. You know, what can I say? You know, she's made me this way. From the very first, here's an excuse. The woman that you gave me, she, she did this to me. Well, then, then notice also uh, that in verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this you have done? And what'd she say? It's a serpent you gave me. That serpent uh, made me do it. He tricked me into it. Never anybody's fault, is it? Uh, he didn't have to ask Satan uh, because he knew uh, what had happened with Satan. So Adam failed to be the head of the home. Adam failed to be the protector of his wife. This was his job. He had, the, he had the assignment about the trees. You can eat of this, you cannot eat of that. You protect your wife and you be the leader. He failed to be the leader. He failed to protect his wife. She failed in following him. And rather than following her head that God had given her, he fo she followed this voice coming out of this serpent uh, and followed that instead of her husband. So both of them had failed, and yet they both kind of shuffle off the responsibility and the blame onto somebody else. I want to impress this on you at, at this point. Your sin is against God. It's not against somebody else. It's not against your wife or your husband. It's not against uh, uh, some animal. It's not against your circumstance. It's against God. You know, David could have said, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there taking a bath where I could see her from my balcony. It's her fault I did this. Or he could have said, you know, Uriah, when, when he came home from battle, he should have gone home to his wife and he didn't. That's his fault that I had to do that. He could have. But you know what David said in Psalm 51? Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ that way. We have to come with our own guilt and our own sin, confess it to God in order to have forgiveness from Him. And by the way, sins can be forgiven. Isaiah in 118 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If we come to God with our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, and he does. So the first thing we see here is God himself in the Lord God. Secondly, we see the serpent, or I could have put in parentheses, Satan himself. Because uh, this serpent, back to verse 1, uh, we would call him a snake now. We're not exactly sure what he looked like beforehand, but this, this serpent, this animal, is possessed by Satan. And Satan will forever after that be called, among other names, the serpent of old. And so uh, he's speaking first to that serpent. Then I'm going to talk about the snake a little bit. Now, you know what has happened to, to Satan, right? 
that he was Lucifer. Let me uh, give you some reflection on this. Isaiah 14, in, in God's description of Lucifer, says this, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? And in verse, verse 14, he had said, Lucifer had said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. And so when he did that, he sinned. And so Ezekiel 28 describes it this way, 28, 14 through 15. You are the anointed cherub, he said, who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Satan was created probably among the angels, I think, on the first day of creation when God spoke these things into existence. He didn't have an eternal existence. Evil hasn't always existed. Uh, it began with him. And he, he hadn't fallen by the time we end uh, chapter 2 uh, of, uh, of Genesis. So in chapters 1 and 2, he's still Lucifer, uh, the, the uh, anointed cherub that covers the throne of God. But somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3, this uh, fall, as we know it and read about it in the other scriptures, took place. As a matter of fact, uh, we will find out in Revelation. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so we know this happened to him. And so now... He comes to talk with Eve, and he chooses an animal that evidently Eve had some familiarity with, but this animal begins to talk, of course. Now, Satan since then has had quite a career as Satan, as the devil, as that old serpent. Consider that uh, what he did with the world from the time of creation up to Noah's time, not that long he caused all of mankind and all of humanity alive that time, except for a few families, to die. He did it. He was glad that he did it. To the Tower of Babel, he, he confused everyone and, and convinced them, like he did with Eve, that you can uh, build a tower uh, to the presence of God. And the, the nations were confused and separated uh, like they have been ever since. In Pharaoh's day, he said, kill every boy that is born. I don't want any seed of the woman to live. In Herod's day, he said, uh, the king of the Jews may be born, kill everyone from two years old and under. He has always done this. Satan has always done it. And even in the temptation, he brought Jesus out to the wilderness and said, worship me. I will give you everything in this world if you will worship me. And he would have destroyed salvation's plan right then had, had Christ submitted to it. So he's had a long, uh, illustrious career. Now, again, John describes him in the end time, as I just read in, in Revelation 12, 9, that uh, he was cast out to the earth and uh, he will be alive even in the tribulation period, yet in our future. And he's alive today. And then in chapter 20, for a thousand years, he's going to be bound. He laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And by the way, folks, Satan's not bound today, and you can't bind him. 
And you may think you can or try to, but he's alive and well on planet Earth. And uh, he is doing his will until the end of that tribulation period when God is going to bind him. Now, another thing that we need to remind ourselves of about this serpent and about Satan himself, and that is, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is your spiritual father. God may be your creator, and God is the creator of every human being, but God is not your father if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said in John 8, 44, to those unbelieving Jews, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And so you're of your father the devil, spiritually that is. God may be your creator. You may even be made in the, and you are, in the image and likeness of God, but you're lost and in your sin, and Satan spiritually is your father. John will later say it in 1 John 3.10, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You can be a child of the devil because of that. And so, whose spiritual father do you want? Do you want to then remain as, the, as Satan's spiritual child, or do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and have God as your spiritual father? So here's the serpent. We know Satan. We know who he is. Secondly, or thirdly, I mean, I want to talk about the snake uh, just for a minute because <laughs> there's this poor animal involved. God's talking to a snake, talking to an animal. When it comes right down to it, the, the, the animal by itself probably didn't know any more than a worm would know, right? I mean, you know, just, just a creature. Uh, and yet before the fall, we're not sure exactly of, uh, you, you know, what the animals could or could not do. As a matter of fact, I happen to think maybe Eve liked this animal. Do you suppose the animals talked, ever talked before the fall? Well, maybe there's a couple reversions back to pre-fall days. After all, Balaam's donkey all of a sudden uh, talked. Now, I don't know. You know, since we're not told those things, I don't know. But suppose this. Suppose whatever this little animal was, he was cunning. He was sharp. He and Eve had this thing going. I mean, she, this was her pet. She liked this animal. If they talk, maybe they talk. But for some reason, when this animal that she was very used to began to talk, she wasn't surprised about it. And she went right along with, with what, uh, what he was saying. It's pretty smart. You know, cats aren't so smart. They're almost that smart. You know, uh, well, I'll get back to that in a minute. Okay, let's, not go back. let's talk about cats later. Now, this, this snake has to hear what God is saying to him in verse 14. So God talks to this, God talks to this animal who now uh, has to suffer consequences, the animal himself, consequences for what is done. Because you have done this, verse 14, you are cursed more than all cattle, I'm really going to put this to you. And so, first of all, you go on your belly. On your belly you shall go, 
the rest of your life. Does that mean there was a physical change of, of some kind? Uh, he was upright or he at least was not on his belly. And from now on, you go on your belly. And that's what snakes do, right? Serpents uh, crawl along in an amazing way uh, on their belly. But that's what they have to do. Secondly, you have to eat dust all of your life. So, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And snakes, when they eat, they eat off of the ground, and they literally eat dust. Uh, we know that. That's just what they have to do because they're so close to the ground. Somebody even pointed out that eating dust is kind of a symbolism of death. We will, from dust we are, and we go back to dust. Maybe there's a symbolism there. I don't know. But they're going to have to eat dust, and, and this, this will be their curse from now on. So not just that snake, not just that uh, serpent, but all snakes and all of uh, these that come out of him, your seed and her seed. When it talks about the seeds, we'll see in a minute, it doesn't just mean Eve and this snake. It means everyone that comes from them, including Satan's seed. So we still have those slitherly, sly animals that crawl around and uh there's just something about a snake i don't know that we don't like to this day we just don't like them maybe you maybe you do i don't know uh you know i've never liked them that much and there's something about a snake and a woman that uh don't especially don't go along so there they are now animals then suffered from the fall and so the whole animal world and I read to you Romans 8.20, the creation or the creator, the, the, the creatures, in other words, suffered or were subjected to futility, not willingly. It wasn't their choice. It was Adam and Eve's choice. And yet they all suffer from it. They eat one another. They kill one another. Uh, it's a bloody world out there in the animal kingdom. And this is because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin. There's an interesting passage in Isaiah 24, 5, and 6. It reads like this. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and there are few left because of what uh, we did, the animals suffered also. But I'll tell you something, it's coming a better day, not only for human beings, but for animals. You remember Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8 say it like this. There's coming a day, by the way, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, sets up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years, and this curse is mostly lifted from the earth. So Isaiah 11:6 6 says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now that doesn't happen these days unless the lamb is inside the wolf, but uh, they don't dwell together. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And then verse 8 says this, The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Even the snakes again are going to be our friends in the kingdom of God. 
I think someday you'll be walking down the street in the kingdom of God, uh, leading along your pet anaconda as you take a walk down the street. Because the animals are going to be friendly again, even toward one another and toward human beings. So, well, so here's the curse. And uh, even this will be, will be settled one day by Messiah himself. But secondly, let's look at this cure in verse 15. Now we have this proto-evangelium. We have this first gospel mentioned to us. And he's still speaking to the serpent are actually to Satan himself, of course. And so he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, no doubt Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there's a long drawn out punishment here because that didn't happen overnight, of course. As a matter of fact, the heel of the Messiah was not bruised for another 4,000 years, and that's putting it uh, 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 the shortest amount of time that we could. 4,000 years later, the cross takes place when the heel of Jesus Christ and his body was bruised on the cross. And it will be 7,000 years after that until the head of the serpent is finally crushed in the lake of fire, and he's put away for good. So the penalty will come over a long, drawn-out period. Well, there are four words mentioned here that I want to emphasize. You see them on your outline here. First of all, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means war between you and the woman. You will no longer be allies. Now, I don't know, again, if the animal was an ally to, to Christ, or I mean to the woman, but uh, Satan had not done any harm to her or to him to this point, but now no more allies. And I suppose even uh, w toward uh, animals themselves, uh, you know, uh, we, we aren't too allied with these serpents either. But uh, maybe at one time, but, but no more. So between you and the woman, there is war. As a matter of fact, in, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, there is this description of what happened uh, w w in a short picture of when Christ came to the earth and was taken back up to heaven, his first coming. And it's pictured like this in Revelation 12:4. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon, which is Satan, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child her seed, of course, before it was born. And we know Satan tried to kill Jesus when he was born. And he would have killed him at any time during his, his life on this earth. So there is this war, this enmity that's always gone on. Herod tried to do it. He tried to do it in the temptation. He, tried, he did kill him through the, uh, through the betrayal of Judas, but he didn't have victory over it. So, folks... Today, the world's problem is not China, not Russia, not North Korea. Today's problem is the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. It is still this enmity that is going on between the children of God and the children of the devil. That is the battle. That is the big issue today. And that is why you have a gospel, a proto-evangelium in this case, a first mention 
of this problem in the world and how it can be taken care of. So that is the first big problem, this enmity, this war between the seed of the woman, which would be the Christ and his believers, and the seed of the serpent. So secondly, talk, let me talk about this seed for a minute, which, since he mentions this, between your seed and her seed. Your seed and her seed. Somebody called this word seed a collective singular, kind of like not only you, but everybody who comes from you. Not only the you, Satan, but everyone who's going to be your spiritual child. And not only you, Eve, but everyone who's going to be your spiritual child. And not only Christ, but everyone who's going to be his spiritual child. I already read to you John 8, 44. You're of your father, the devil, his spiritual seed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's who you are. That's a description of you. Your seed, Satan, are those that will follow you rather than follow God. 1 John 3.10, you are the children of the devil. Here's a good example of it in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey and, and they, they came across uh, the island and uh, they came to uh, the governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, and they began to preach the gospel to him. And there was a, man, there was a, a sorcerer there named Elamus, or Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, his name is. And he was with standing the gospel and not letting it be preached to his governor. And so Paul confronted him. And here's what Paul said. Oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Paul is saying, you are of that seed of the serpent. Satan is your spiritual father. That's what you don't understand. And then he said, you are the, uh, the son of the devil. You are the enemy of all righteousness. You will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And that's where you are without the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of a sad picture uh, when you think of yourself as the seed of that serpent. Well, how about her seed? Between your seed and her seed. Again, what we know is, that her seed will be those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But first of all, specifically, Jesus Christ himself comes from the woman. By the way, did you notice that he said, your seed and her seed, we might have said your seed and their seed. We might have said, here's the man and the woman, and God made them to procreate, and God made them to have children. But he didn't say between your seed and theirs. He said between your seed and her seed, which probably is a foreshadowing, no doubt, of the virgin birth of Christ uh, himself because we know that he was, Galatians 4.4, born of a woman, not of a woman and a man. But Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made because Abraham comes through the woman. He does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. That's the battle, isn't it? Satan versus Christ. His children and his children. The, the children of the devil or the children of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, and not only that, but at the end of that 12th chapter of Revelation, the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war, it says, with the rest of her offspring. That's you and me. 
the rest of her offspring are the children of God, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so this war goes on. The seed between these two continues even today. Let me then finish with these last two words, the head and the heel. So you have this description, of course. He shall bruise your head. That's pretty deadly. If that happens, you're, you're gone. And you will bruise, bruise his heel. Well, that's not so bad. In other words, uh, heel isn't the, to bruise your heel isn't the end of your existence. And yet this is what will happen. He shall bruise your head. Who is the he? Interesting here that we have this this masculine pronoun all of a sudden referring to the seed of the woman as he. He shall bruise your head. Who would that be? That is the seed singular of the woman. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will bruise your head. And who is yours? That's Satan's head. Not just the serpent, not just the snake. This is, this, this is uh, uh, Satan's head himself. Let me, let me review with you a little bit of how this is going to happen. First of all, th- again, this was, this was done shortly after creation, and yet uh, we don't even find a little bit of this until 4,000 years later at the cross. Do you remember when it was announced that he would be destroyed? It's in Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15, when Paul's speaking about the cross. And he says that Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, I'll just stop and say, that's the law of God. And God's law has condemned you and me because you and I can't keep it. And we are sinners because of our sin because we don't match the law of God. But Jesus Christ came and never sinned and fulfilled everything that the law ever demanded. And so he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He took every requirement that God had of human beings and himself as a man fulfilled everyone and then nailed it to the cross and left it there. Then it, but then it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it, that is in the cross. And so what am I saying? The cross was the announcement to Satan that you're done. He's not done. He's still alive to this day. But He has been nailed to the cross, and his power has been nailed to the cross, and his power of death has been overcome by Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. That's the announcement of it. Now, there will be a temporary uh, imprisonment of Satan during the reign of Christ on this earth. So Revelation 20 and verses 1 and 2 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He's not bound today, but he will be bound for a thousand years. And so for a while he'll be put away. For a while it seems like he's gone, but he's not gone. He'll be released from that prison at the end until finally he's cast into the lake of fire. So in Revelation 20:10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
his head will finally be crushed. He will be gone. That time is coming. It's not here yet, but it's as good as done. And for eternity, if you know Christ as your Savior, you will be delivered from that serpent and from his temptation forever. But along the way, he's going to bruise his heel. You shall bruise, again, that masculine pronoun, his heel. Who is that? The seed of the woman who is Jesus Christ himself. Let me remind you of Isaiah 53, that great chapter of the, the, the Lord's crucifixion. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And here's the word, he was bruised for our iniquities. That fulfillment of that. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Some people notice that his heel uh, at crucifixion was a specific place of being crushed. So let me read Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary, I think, said a great thing about this. He said, We do not know whether Adam and Eve had any real knowledge of the fact that the feet of the Savior would be pressed literally against the cross, as a matter of fact, nailed to the cross. Where Satan bruised him physically, the Lord did the mightier thing, in crushing Satan, the Lord was crushed. In bringing death to the enemy, he himself died. The enemy remains crushed, but the Lord rises from the dead. He bruised his heel, but he couldn't take his life. And he rose from the dead and will crush the head of the serpent eventually. And Paul will say, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a spectacle of them openly. And so it's in the cross, it's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we find victory, all the way back to Genesis 3, 15. Are you weary of sin? Are you weary of Satan's power in these days? Are you weary of, of what sin does to you? Romans 16, 20, Paul said, The peace of God will crush Satan under your feet shortly. One day you and I will reign with Christ, and he will be crushed under our feet shortly. Not now, but shortly it will happen. So come to the end of our thoughts here, uh, and just let me close with these thoughts. Number one, you know what? We've read the last chapter of the book. Do you do that when you read a book? Shame on you. <laughs> you know, you're going to read some mystery or some story, and you go back and read the last chapter so you know how it happened. Then what fun is the book? But we've read the last chapter. We, we know what's going to happen. And the same God who pronounced the penalties in the first chapter also pronounced the, the, the destruction in the last chapter. And if what happened from the first has been perfectly fulfilled and true, then what's going to happen in the last is also going to be true. The results of sin and punishment will obviously become true. So, folks, this place is a great responsibility on us, on you as a sinner, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And so you have to make the choice. 
to remain a spiritual child of the devil himself or to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and become spiritual child and son and brother to Jesus Christ, a son of God himself. He was bruised for you. He was crushed for you. But his death, burial, and resurrection bought our salvation and gave us the victory. And only, only he and belief in him can keep you from the same lake of fire where Satan is going to end up to. I hope that you know him as your personal Savior. Stand with me, if you will, as we think about these things and go to the Lord in prayer. We sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And uh, you, if you know that you need to receive Christ as Savior, maybe uh, you're only listening to our message this morning. You can bow your head and ask the Lord Jesus to save you even now. And at, at the close of our, our service, I'm here. You come and say, I need to take care of this, uh, of my soul before uh, the Lord this morning. And let's do that too. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the first gospel preached because of sin, because of the curse that has come upon all of us. We see that there's a way out, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the Son of God. And thank you, Father, that the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become the sons of God, and that we can have that eternal life through him. So, Father, bless as we think about these things, as we sing a song. And, Father, may you convict our hearts to do what we should do this morning. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in a song. You respond in the way the Lord has led you to. <laughs>